the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Finelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. And especially, especially today, come and join us in the chat. We're taking live audience questions. You can drop them whenever. We're going to sprinkle them in throughout but we also have questions from the big old bag of mail ways for you to add your question to the big old bag of mail go and leave us a five-star review and in that review put your question we'll throw it in that bag of mail and we will add it get to it in a future mail bag episode today some conference realignment related questions that we had already picked out before we had the news headline that we're going to get to in just a bit. Some more school-specific questions. Yeah, we love when you throw those at us. We'll try to work them in throughout the offseason. Taking a look at Arizona State, taking a look at Mississippi State, uh, and so much more. First, uh, we want to begin at with conference realignment because we've got reporting from Action Network's Brett McMurphy uh, that Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov has already toured uh, San Diego State, uh, Dennis Dodd reporting that, and he is planning to visit SMU today on Wednesday. And the Pac-12, according to our own Dennis Dodd, big game Dennis Dodd says that Pac-12 might be looking to expand its conference before nailing down its new media rights deal. Now, the Pac-12 are the next school that's up. Big 10 signed a new deal. Big 12 signed a new deal. SEC, of course, is going to enter into its new deal uh, coming up in 2024. And the ACC, well, you know, it's like 2095 before their deal comes up. So the conference realignment pieces uh, seem to be moving again. The machine is going. If the Pac-12 is, in fact, trying to get San Diego State and SMU on board, my thoughts are San Diego State and SMU probably would say yes. So let's just go ahead and fast forward with this. What do you make uh, of the Pac-12 uh, targeting these two schools to try to get back up from 10, where they will be after USC and UCLA leave, to 12? It, it makes sense in that 
you're losing both your Los Angeles schools. So San Diego State at least gives you a presence in Southern California, even though San Diego's not Los Angeles. Both cities will get kind of annoyed at you if you tell them they're the same thing. Um, and then SMU makes sense in that the Pac-12 needs a market. Like it's trying to sell its television rights right now, and it's trying to get as much money as possible, and it's lost Los Angeles and San Diego again. It's going to give you Southern Cal, but it's not really going to give you the same kind of zip that having LA has. So you're dipping into Texas, which is a pretty football mad kind of state, has a lot of recruiting, a lot of talent, all that kind of stuff. So it makes sense. That all said, it's hard to be excited about the prospect of losing USC and UCLA and replacing them with San Diego State and SMU. So, I don't know. It's just, it's it makes sense. It's hard for me if I'm a Pac-12 fan to think it's going to be exciting. And honestly, if I'm Apple, or if I'm NBC, or CBS, or Fox, or ESPN, or Amazon, whoever the hell is bidding on Pac-12 rights, like, are you sitting there thinking, I'm kind of interested in the Pac-12 at this point. Oh, what, you're getting San Diego State and SMU? Here's an extra $20 million. I, I just, it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't really do anything for me from that aspect. So uh, one of the notes from Dennis Dodd is that the next Pac-12 deal is expected to be a split between a streaming service and ESPN. ESPN, clearly the television markets are you know, matter. We're still dealing with linear cable at that point. But for streaming services, do, do markets matter? I mean, is that, a is that a dumb question? Because you've got mm -hmm. your total number of, you know, Amazon Prime is in 66 million households or whatever. Like there's 66 million Amazon Prime subscribers. So that's your potential reach there. If you are going to be more streaming and more digital, uh, in that sense, I would almost say compliment it. Because if you're looking at programs that are not in the Power Five, that from a interest, competitive and brand standpoint, these are some pretty rock solid programs in San Diego State, in SMU, ones that have been uh, not bottoming out and, and maintaining a pretty high level of consistency here in the recent history. Yeah, but I, I think, honestly, with streaming, it might matter more because mm. you, if you have Amazon Prime, how much are you paying a month for it? And then you get you know the Amazon streaming. You're trying to bring in new customers if you're Amazon. So... You know, it does depend on the market size, because if you are in Dallas and you're trying to get a greater market share in Dallas among people there, among SMU fans who want to pay a monthly subscription fee to watch SMU play football, that matters. Same in San Diego State. So I think it matters just as much as it does to the cable companies. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you. I have Amazon Prime. Most people I know already have Amazon Prime. I don't know how many more people are out there that are going to get Amazon just because SMU joined the Pac-12. So again, I don't know how much this is really going to increase and then also you mentioned i think the bigger thing for me is if it's streaming like if espn wants to pay for the pac-12 espn is paying for the pac-12 so it has something to put late at night on saturdays like for the post prime time games amazon doesn't have to give a damn about time windows because it could stream the games when it wants but it doesn't want to stream it up against other things so i don't know i, I i'm not I'm not that well versed on this side of this, like the television kind of angle to really know. It's just no matter how I spin it, I don't really see how SMU and San Diego State really change the calculus for me. And I think it says something lar to the larger point of what Power Five conferences have become. Because if you go back to the beginning of what the latest, you know, modern conference realignment is, the Big Ten and the SEC have poached schools from other Power Five conferences. 
And then the other Power Five conferences, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, in turn had to go from Group of Five. And then the Group of Five has gone from the FCS. So with the Pac-12 adding San Diego State and SMU, losing USC and UCLA, to me, in my mind, it becomes somewhat less of a Power Five conference. And I kind of feel the same way about the Big 12. I think the Big 12 is the better conference than the Pac-12 at this point, if this is how the dust settles. But it's just, you're kind of losing all your biggest brands and it's leaving a product that is just not going to be up to par with what the Big Ten and the SEC have to offer. Okay, well, back to the you know, the, the disease of more. Um, with a ten-team conference, you have less inventory. You just simply mm-hmm. have less games. You have seventy-five conference games. That number goes up to ninety if you're able to get to twelve. When you're trying to sell this deal, you got like from the Pac-12's perspective, you just got to get more games yes. to get out there and sell. And you know. Does this program, um, you know, bring the same value of USC and UCLA? You can't even have that fight anymore because right now you're just trying to have as much as possible, especially if you're trying to split it up. To which I would say, there again, from the Pac-12's perspective, if you're going to go out and poach two uh, programs that are not aligned in a Power Five conference or soon to move to a Power Five conference, it's not. It, it is a logical selection of schools um, to me. It, yeah, it's there's a lot of reasons they make sense. It's just to me, it's not exactly exciting. And I do the one part of this for me too, though. Like we saw how Cal responded to like UCLA trying to leave to go to the Big Ten, and however you know, like the academic aspect of it, and they pretty much had to be bought off to let them leave. I want to be in the room when the Pac-12 is trying to sell to the Cal Board of Trustees and the Stanford Board of Trustees adding San Diego State to the Pac-12 because uh, academically not quite on the same level. Listen, as long as that Pac-12 money allows them to create some more shade at San Diego State home games, because <laughs> I don't know if I've mentioned this publicly and I, I'm not going to, I'm not a stadium design master, but I saw the videos from this football season of fans huddling under rafters trying to, I mean, under the bleachers trying Mm -hmm. to find any shade that's possible as apparently so much of that stadium just gets blasted by the Southern California sun. So let's get some, some state of the art sunshades with that pac 12 money. Come on. All right. One more thought here in terms of conference realignment and future moves to me, if this goes down, this does probably put an end to this big 12 Pac-12, who's going to poach who? You because sure? The big part of the Pac-12 is you always wanted to get east. Big 12 always wanted to get west. Big 12 still could get west if they get the Arizona schools, but if the Pac-12 already gets into Texas and with the Big 12 strengthening, strengthening its position and you know, the final piece of this, in a future college football playoff era where there's six automatic bids for conference champions... I think that that land grab battle might be done. You sure? Because the Pac-12 would now be reaching into Texas. The Big 12 hasn't really, I mean, BYU, I guess, counts as Pac-12 territory. But Big 12 hasn't really reached into Pac-12 territory yet. So that would be, it's the Arizona schools. That's always what my understanding has been, is the, the very attractive Phoenix market and, you know, grabbing a a surging sort of football community that we've detailed a lot here on the cover three podcast. 
that could happen. I mean, that would be that would be remarkable. That would probably be the end of the Pac-12 at that point. I think they could go after the Arizona schools. I think they could still go after Colorado and Utah if they want. Add those four. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't think it's going to be immediate anytime in the direct future. But I am never going to put as long as TV is the main driving force behind this sport, and it has become the driving force behind this sport. And new executives take over, and they have to do better than the people they're replacing, which means they have to get more money for what they're selling. Conference realignment is never going to go anywhere. So wow. I'm not saying the Big 12 is done trying to poach the Pac-12 yet. That would be also, if this deal is signed, for example, for the Pac-12 between ESPN and Amazon, that would be another Fox ESPN battle. Because then you're just trying to knife them there for that value. So I, I think that if they do end up ma- expanding, if they end up signing this deal, I think that the Pac-12 will be okay. But I, I understand that there's a there seems to be a lot of sentiment uh, both out in the ecosystem and even here in the live chat that suggests that Pac-12's days are are not for long. I'll I'll, I'll stand up for the Pac-12. I, I think that they'll be okay here. Not the same league without USC and UCLA, without a doubt. But as long as they've still got a path to the college football playoff through automatic bids, and as long as they are able to get this new media rights deal, uh, I think that they will be all right. And these are sensible selections to be able to expand um, moving forward. But you know who else has an automatic bid, Chip? The The, the G5. So what are the odds? It's six highest no matter what. There's not a special G5. Okay, but my point is this. What are the, what are the odds that the only Pac-12 team getting in the playoff on an annual basis is the conference champion? That can be said for almost that can be said for all of the FBS conf or all of the the conferences that are going to be in the mix besides the SEC and the, and the Big, Big 10. Ten. Mm-hmm. Then that's kind of the point I was getting at earlier with who poaches from who. Yeah. Um, another, as we turn our attention to the assistant coaching carousel, things still moving. The la- the next big piece that we've got has been that Miami has reportedly identified its replacement for uh, Kevin Steele, who, of course, left to go take the job at Alabama. It will be Lance Guidry, who was on the Marshall staff for the last couple of years, and he was at Tulane for a hot second. <laughs> you know, a classic Manny Diaz at Temple kind of uh, tenure right here. You know, whatever you you want to select. Maybe uh, Bobby Petrino at UNLV kind of tenure right here. Uh, so Lance Guidry, who, again, at Marshall for a couple years, was at Tulane for just a quick second, has been in coaching for uh, a very long time. This will be his 29th year uh, in coaching as he is on the sidelines for the Hurricanes. Uh, previous stops include FAU, Southeastern Louisiana, McNeese State, Western Kentucky, Miami of Ohio. Was even the head coach at McNeese State for a couple of years. What stands out about the uh, the Gidry hire by Mario Cristobal? Uh, well, I mean, I hope he hadn't moved all his stuff into his office at Tulane. As far as the hires goes, I mean, his defenses at Marshall the last two years were pretty good. Like, Marshall was very strong this year defensively. I would say the defense is what led that team. And I think schematically from that standpoint, it's probably a good hire. And you look at his history, like you mentioned, the places that he's been, a lot of places in the southeast, you know, McNeese State, Louisiana. He had the time at Miami of Ohio, but Western Kentucky, like that's about as far north as he got. Considering what we've talked about, Mario wants all his coaches to be, you know, recruiters too. 
He's got plenty of experience in a very important region of the country as far as where Miami's going to be recruiting. He also spent a year at Florida Atlantic, although I don't think that you know one year there means too much. But I just think that schematically, his martial defenses were very good. His experience, he's got plenty of it, plenty of it in a very important region for Miami as far as recruiting footprint. It ticks off a lot of boxes. So from that standpoint, I think it's solid hire for the Hurricanes. We'll see what happens from this point on. Domino thought here, tough, tough go of it for Willie Fritz. Yeah. You lose Chris Hampton, who had done an excellent job with that green wave defense. He's off to Oregon, for those who haven't been keeping track of Chris Hampton's whereabouts. You go and you make what seems to be a pretty sensible hire, especially if he ends up getting hired away by Mario Cristobal. Now you've got uh, another, another hire that you need to make going into a season that, you know, Tulane's expected to run the American Athletic Conference. I mean, they're the reigning champions. They've got their head coach back. They've got their quarterback back. Of course, they lose uh, their star running back. But this is a, a dang, daggone. <laughs> I think Willie Fritz, though, I mean, given his time and his experience coaching, I don't think he'll have trouble finding somebody. Oh, his, yeah, no, like him. He's got plenty of connections. But yeah, yeah it does, it does kind of stink to be like, all right, losing my guy. All right, I got the replacement. And then a few weeks later, it's like, oh, I got to do this crap. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's two, two, you know, coaching searches within a couple months span has probably got to be annoying when you've got a bunch of other stuff to do. Right, exactly. Just uh, you know, you're you're sitting here trying to get ready for uh, you're you're sitting here trying to get ready for your spring practice plan, mm -hmm. and uh, and now all of a sudden, you know, you're you're having to get back on the phone trying to make a hire. So, um, Miami fans who like, I I understand if Miami fans are are not quite sure uh what to make of this hire. Uh, but I would say that when you talk about the experience and and how long that he's been able to be around and and have pretty good defenses, Tom makes a great point that. In defending modern offenses, which is something that you've had to do at Marshall, he's been able to have good X's and O's and, and be able to coach him up there with the the herd. So that's a that's a good thing moving forward. But ultimately, when you are a Miami assistant coach, your number one job is getting out there and cruiting. We Tom Fernelli uh, dropped a short on the YouTube channel about the uh, some of the news that we've had regarding Iowa offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz. We've discussed the ultimate uh, you know, idea that Iowa is going to hold on to Brian Ferentz here uh, for a couple of episodes, but what makes this newsworthy? Well, he got a new contract, and the contract includes some designated performance objectives for the 2023 season. It is a minimum of seven wins, including a possible bowl game. For Iowa football, that's a that's a, that's right on par. Okay, if yeah. you if you want to hold everybody accountable, you know, get to a bowl game and either win it or have seven regular season wins. That's okay. That's that's something that's reasonable. All right, I, if I'm if I'm Brian Ferentz, I understand. And then I look at this other little clause in the contract. An average of at least 25 points per game. Oh, no. <laughs> and to be clear, it's not just offensive points per game. The you points that the defense scores the count. Game. The team just has to average 25 points per game. So if the defense returns one touchdown per game, technically the offense only has to average 18 and Brian will be fine. But yeah, um, so... If he doesn't do meet these requirements, his contract is canceled, void. He's done. I'm sure. I don't think he'll get fired. But 
it is ridiculous. <laughs> 25 points per game. And I, I've had a whole bunch of Iowa fans be like, well, actually, when we've scored at least 25 points per game under Brian Ferentz, we're like 38 and two. And I'm like, yeah, well, what would your record be if you scored 30? What would your record be if you scored 40? Like, you, you should not stop scoring points just because you've only needed to score 25. And you should probably hold yourself to a higher standard. But I will also point out, and I did the research. Since Ferentz took over as the offensive coordinator in 2017, Iowa has averaged 25.9 points per game. So, as I said in the short, I think we know how they came to 25 because when you look at football, 25 is not a normal kind of number for a game. You don't see teams scoring 25 points in a game very often. You see 24s, you see 27s, you see 28s. Why would they choose 25? Oh, because he scored 25.9 points per game. But they have not scored 25 points per game in either of the last two seasons. So while the bar seems pretty low, LeBron James set the NBA all-time scoring record last night in a loss, by the way, which I found out before the show. Like I, I woke up and found out LeBron set the record. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I find out that the Lakers lost the game, which is just a perfect encapsulation of LeBron's career. But LeBron in his career, the NBA's all-time leading scorer, He's only averaged 27.9 points per game. So he's basically Brian Ferentz. He's a little bit better. Can Brian Ferentz be the LeBron James of offensive coordinators? Can Iowa be LeBron James? We'll find out. I wouldn't, I, I, it's not a guarantee. I do think they have upgraded at quarterback. I think they've got, you know, Eric Hall, I think he's a good player. We'll see what they've got. I think the offensive line could use some work. I don't think it's going to be that easy. I do think the defense will have to do some of the lifting for this offense next year. And I'm dying for a situation late in the season, like going into the Black Friday game against Nebraska. Iowa needs to score 30 points or Brian Ferentz is going to get fired. (laughs) I'm just seeing what happens. Listen, this past season, Iowa averaged 17.7 points per game and that included six defensive touchdowns and two safeties Mm -hmm. that is the offense scored 14 points per game the offense scored and 25 points per game in the modern game of college football you know who averaged 25 points per game butch jones's arkansas state red wolves and you know where that ranked 85th out of 131 teams so if you deliver on this contract uh, objective, then congratulations. You have improved from number 123 in the country to mm-hmm. number 85 in the country. Mm-hmm. It is not hard to score 25 points per game in, in modern college football. In fact, if you're not scoring 25 points per game, you probably suck. Can Brian Ferentz match LeBron James contract objective scoring record. Michael Jordan, LeBron goat debate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying Michael Jordan's Iowa team would score 32 points per game. That's all I'm saying. He probably would win a lot more too. Yeah. People are asking. Mm-hmm. People are asking about such things. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pull our first question. This is from Eddie. Why are Chip and Bub put... Oh, what a good name for Bud. (laughs) 
Why are Chip and Bub pushing Oregon over USC recruiting narrative when accounting to 24-7, USC is higher ranked overall, ranking with six less players? I think that to me... (laughs) I'm sorry. As a writer and and my natural editor is looking at this question and just kind of having an aneurysm. um, My... What is driving mine is probably following the battles between the two, the you know the idea that there were several prospects who were you know coming down to Oregon and USC and then ended up going Oregon, or that there would be players who flipped from uh, Oregon to USC. I think that there's you know a, a good bit of transfer work like that Lincoln Riley has done and the transfer classes certainly have been much stronger for the tro- the Trojans. And I would say that to me, the narrative is that while Oregon might have won a couple of rounds, USC is still USC. Lincoln Riley is still Lincoln Riley. And this is not a battle that is over. Like we're not ready to call the fight just yet. It's more about anticipating what is going to continue to unfold but between these two coaches who are hired in the same cycle and are going to be battling at least for the next year or so um, but for Pac-12 supremacy. I think that both schools are great and they're trying their hardest and they're both going to recruit very well. And uh, I'm, the only thing I got to say, Eddie, is six fewer players. Fewer, not less. Fewer. And I'm going to assume the accounting, too, was just a typo. According, it's probably mm-hmm. right there. Well, thank you, Eddie, for the question, and go ahead and, and keep dropping them in the chat. We will hit them throughout the episode. And coming up on the other side, we got a lot of teams that are going to be on the move in the next couple of weeks. A lot, a lot of conference realignment flair here today on a Wednesday. So, who among these notable movers will end up winning a conference title in their new conference first? We'll get into that and more next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, taking a dip in a big old bag of mail. Great way for you to get your question in a future mailbag episode. Leave us a five-star review, and in that review, put your question. This question comes from BK1994. This is a must-listen podcast for college football fans. Love the win totals and locks pod every year. Been listening since 2018. RIP Barton. He is dearly missed. My question is... Of the eight schools in the power conferences, moving conferences in the next couple of years, open parentheses, Oklahoma, Texas, UCLA, USC, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and Houston, close parentheses, who will win their new conference first 
Assuming no other conference realigned. Oh, this is the second part of the question. Let's do the first part first. So again, for those listening at home, Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC, UCLA, USC in the Big Ten, and the four new schools that are joining the Big 12, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and Houston, who will win a conference title first in terms of advantage. The Big 12 schools will be in the longest as they are going to be in the Big 12 for the 2023 season. UCLA and USC joined for the 2024 season in the Big 10. And as we've discussed extensively on here, despite all their best efforts, Oklahoma and Texas appear to be joining in 2025. So of those eight, who wins a conference title first in their new conference? This is a really tough question. I, I like it. Yeah, I was kind of, you know, you, you sent this to us last night and I was going over this and I was having a really difficult time trying to like reach a consensus answer, answer within my own head. Like talent wise, recruiting wise, you would think Texas, Oklahoma and USC are the three obvious choices because they're going to recruit very well. They're going to have five star players. They're probably going to have very good quarterbacks. But Texas and Oklahoma will be joining the SEC in which they're going to be going head to head with Alabama, LSU, Georgia you know, and no, Jordan is producing Tennessee. So like, that's not a very easy road. Like when you look at those teams, they're probably starting off at best as the third best team in the conference, like from a starting point. So you've got to climb the two giants, assuming Alabama, Nick Saban retires and Alabama slips. It doesn't look like Georgia's going anywhere anytime soon. You've still got LSU and then blah, blah, blah. USC joins the big 10. But when was the last time USC won the Pac-12? It's hard to just say, well, they're going to go in the Big Ten and be able to win that conference. They're going to be able to beat Michigan. They're going to be able to beat Ohio State. They couldn't beat Tulane. Like, we've seen them get, you know, kind of shown the door by Utah. If you can't beat Utah, Michigan's probably going to be doing the same thing to you that Utah has been doing, just out physicaling you and beating you up in the trenches. So you need to see that kind of improvement. So I think, honestly, the best answer is one of the four joining the Big 12 because they're entering a conference that is losing its two kind of top dogs. And I know Texas hasn't won the league in a while. TCU just reached the playoff, but just as far as recruiting talent-wise, Texas and Oklahoma have been the two big teams in that conference for a very long time. So of those four, which one do I think has the biggest chance to win the Big 12 first? Sorry, UCLA, I've completely kind of thrown you out here. I don't think you're winning the Big 10 for a long time. Um, UCF. I think UCF has the best head coach of the four schools that are entering the Big 12. And while they will be dealing with Texas and Oklahoma for two years, I think that when they leave that this program, which is again, going to be occupying this unique spot as the big 12 program in the state of Florida, they are going to, they, they, to me are the best positioned of those four. I like you was not going to pick Texas or Oklahoma. Not only did they have the time not on their side with a delayed entry, but I'm just not going to throw them in and think they're going to jump to the top of the SEC. I like you. I'm not going to take USC or UCLA because the good gravy, what is at the top of the Big Ten mm -hmm. is as impressive as what you've got at the top of the SEC, to which I, I go to these Big 12 schools, which get a little bit of a head start against the others. And as I'm deciding between Scott Satterfield, Cincinnati, Kalani Sataki's BYU, Dana Holgerson's Houston, or Gus Malzahn's UCF, I to my answer is UCF. I'm gonna go Houston. I don't think it'll be with Holgo though. Ooh. Like I don't think either of these teams are gonna be winning their conference within a few years. Like I think it's probably four or five years down the road before any of them do it. 
But yeah, I would say UCF or Houston are probably the two most likely. I think Cincinnati, having lost Fickle and lost a lot of players, you know, to the draft in the last couple classes, I think the Bearcats, they're not they're not gonna be bad, but I think the Bearcats could be more of a seven, eight win team for a few years in the Big Twelve trying to get their feet set and get, you know, their whatever, but beneath which them. was their standard. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, is like the the Brian Kelly was just like uh, an ad, astrological. No, that's astronaut. What a meteorological event. A comet through the sky. <laughs> so comets are meteorological events. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was one of those things that you stand outside because it ain't coming back around. Brian Kelly just flashed through the sky, and then Luke Fickle built up to something. But when we were celebrating Luke Fickle's success in Cincinnati, one of the other sides of the conversation was like, okay, so – we need to remember that he is doing a streak of success, like wins over two years, wins over three years, wins over four years that have not been done all yeah. that often. And that being a seven or eight win uh, program is more of Cincinnati's history than winning 10, 11, 12 games like Fickle was doing. Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I I don't think Cincinnati's going to bottom out. It's in a I wanna, great oh, spot. But. I want to spin this question for you. Okay. Which of those eight schools is going to be the worst in their new conference? Like has the highest potential to completely just bottom out and become a doormat. <laughs> uh, just trying to get you yelled at. I know. Hey, actually, you know what? It might be USC. Mm, no, I think it, it's funny. I think the answer is the same. <laughs> You think it's either like UCF or Houston? Yes. The it, could be, it could be UCLA. UCLA could just become a, you know, let's collect our check, win six, seven games. So maybe not doormat, but I don't think I don't think Texas and Oklahoma could ever truly bottom out. I don't think USC could truly bottom out. But we seem to that's so my argument between the USC is that we have seen USC bottom out recently. It is mm -hmm. possible. It is within the recent history of the Trojans. back real quick though like you could have a bad year i'm talking just bottoming out like you become a team that's just like hey we're just hoping to get to a bowl game okay ucla uh byu or i guess i like your ucf or houston has the potential like to win any of the big 12 schools I think, yeah. yeah yeah ucla and the big 12 schools i think would be the answer um, okay, so this was so of these eight schools, this was the second part of the question from BK1994. Uh, assuming no other conference realignment, over under two and a half schools from this group of eight win their conference over the next 10 years. Under. Under. I would say, yeah. I'm not going to go three. Under in the next 10 years. Under. It's tough. It's tough. The um, Bub Elliott comes on here a lot and he says you take the check and you take the losses it's something that he has said many many times and uh and certainly uh certainly a big part of the conversation um, coca in the chat saying ucla has a better chance of becoming the cal of the big 10 than any other of the schools has of becoming a powerhouse i would agree with that all right well let's uh i saw um let's let's go ahead and stick it with the let's stick with ucla as golden blue kevin says, what's the outlook for UCLA this coming season before the Bruins get buried in the Big Ten? With new QBs, Colin Schley and Dante Moore, can we finish top three or four in the Pac-12? 
That's the first part of the question. Distant shot at a New Year's Six Bowl. Yes and no. Yeah, I I mean, I think there's a very real chance you could be top three or four in the Pac-12. I don't think that's asking too much, but New Year's Six Bowl, probably a whole lot to ask, I think. I mean, it's not, not saying it's impossible, but you look at what that team has lost, and Schley is a good floor from what we saw from him at Kent State. Dante Moore could be anything at this point. He's the mystery box. He might be great. He might just be a young quarterback who with high rating who struggles when he first gets to campus. There are a lot of those. But I don't think you're better than USC next year. I don't think you're going to be better than Bo Nix in Oregon. You might be better than Michael Penix in Washington. I mean, Utah is still going to be Utah. So I think that you're probably looking at top three or four as your ceiling cracking in. I don't think you're winning the league. And you're not getting to the New Year's Six out of the Pac-12 unless you win the Pac-12. Let's be real. Yeah. The Also, Carson Steele coming in at running back, who sort mm-hmm. of becomes your new Zach Charbonnet figure. You expect that this is still going to be a group that's pretty impressive along the line of scrimmage with the way that that's been a group that's built up over the last couple of years. Top three or four, yes. Um, shot in New Year's Six Bowl, not quite seeing that. Top of the conference is just, like Tom said, I'm, I'm going to slot the other ones ahead of them. All right. Uh, we'll stay in the Pac-12 as this next question comes from Cord. Love the show, gentlemen. Keep up the great work. As an Arizona State fan, I'm excited to see Jaden Rashada coming to Tempe, but I'm having flashbacks to when Jaden Daniels came into the program as a top recruit like Rashada. With USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12, in your opinion, uh, with the comparison to Jaden Daniels' era, can Rashada, with Kenny Dillingham, take the Sun Devils to a to be to being conference title contenders in the next three years? No, three years not long enough for Kenny Dillingham to take Arizona State to be in a conference title contender. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, it's. The last couple of years of the Herms tenure were kind of detrimental to the program. And I think that there is a lot of rebuilding that Kenny Dillingham has to do. And you've already started the work. Like he's brought in a lot of transfers back home to Arizona from the area, trying to get the roster built up. And I think Jaden Rashada is a very good get for Arizona State. And maybe he speeds up the process a little bit or at least raises the floor for the first couple of years. But winning the Pac-12 is there's a large large area that you have to cover between where you are now and winning the Pac-12. I don't think it could happen in three years. Maybe four or five, you could finally start competing for it. But it just doesn't seem realistic to me to look at where that program is right now and think, oh, yeah, by 2026, they're winning the Pac-12. Just don't see it. If Arizona State makes a bowl game, Kenny Dillingham is the coach of the year in the conference. Yeah, probably. I mean, unless... six transfers... Like, I mean, you just, you are doing the, like, bring in all new players, get them all to buy in. Then if you are able to get the Sun Devils to that spot right away, that is extremely impressive to being a conference title contender when you are starting behind the likes of Dan Lanning at Oregon, of Kalen DeBoer at Washington, uh, Kyle Whittingham, as long as he's there, is going to have Utah right up there in the top tier. I mean, even looking at a Pac-12 that does not have a USC and UCLA, that is a is a tough upper crust to be able to break through. Andrew Gilmore in the chat says, we said the same thing about Josh Heupel. Did Josh Heupel win the SEC this year? Am I confused? I thought he got completely destroyed by Georgia, the team that did win the SEC. Maybe I was wrong. All you had to do was not lose to South Carolina. Yeah. Could There's have been a big playoff. gap. Could Tennessee exceeded playoff. expectations. They didn't win the SEC. Big difference. 
Uh, ooh, let's. All right. Speaking of the SEC, how about this one from the chat? Craig says, "Ooh, spicy." Nick Saban just made two Craig's words here: lackluster coordinator hires, and signed an inside linebacker off Georgia's bench, presumably to come start at Alabama. Will the Tide really be able to challenge Georgia with all the turnover? Uh, I disagree on the assessment of lackluster coordinator hires. <laughs> like, Strongly. I mean, if Kevin Steele was the same coach, but he was 39, you'd think he was a great hire. But it's since he's older, he's not. He's a lackluster hire. Uh, I mean, I don't think Alabama is going to be as good as Georgia. If that's the basis of the question, I think Georgia is the better program right now. And I think Alabama has ground to make up. And I think losing Bryce Young makes it really difficult for Alabama to make up that ground. Now, we'll see what happens at the quarterback position there. If something changes or if somebody steps up and takes a step forward. But I do think there's a pretty big gap. I think there's a large gap between Georgia and damn near everybody else in the country at the moment. So I don't think it's really a knock on Alabama to say that I, I don't think they can catch them yet this year. No. Oh, I, I definitely do. Because you're, you are using the phrase, like, are they going to challenge? Can they challenge Georgia? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's Alabama. It's- I, I, I understand, but I'm just saying, I, I think Georgia's the best team in the country again by a lot. But putting them who challenged Georgia this year? Ohio State. Ohio State did challenge Georgia this year. But I I believe that there is uh still phenomenal talent in that locker room and being able to the fact that Alabama on the field underperformed its talent especially in key games and key situations it prevented Alabama from being in the college football playoff and prevented Alabama from being able to play at all against these Georgia Bulldogs. We never got to see Georgia against Alabama. And when they played the year before, they split. Alabama won in the SEC championship. Georgia won in the national championship. I think that while Georgia is deserved in being ranked ahead of Alabama in your power rankings, your pecking order, your predicted order finish, whatever. Yes, Alabama can challenge Georgia. I and the coaching change might help Alabama challenge Georgia. So yeah, give me yes, they will be able to challenge Georgia with all the turnover. It might even be an upgrade. I think in a one-on-one game, Alabama can challenge Georgia over a 12-game season. I don't know that Alabama can challenge Georgia. They didn't get the chance to this year. Right. Because what happened? They lost to teams who weren't Georgia. Because they blew it. That's what I'm saying. And I, it's again, I'm not sitting here saying like the Alabama dynasty's done or like however Alabama fans take it when you say that they might not be as good. I just think Georgia is the better program right now. I think Georgia has the better, the more continuity. I, they're not changing coordinators every year. Like that's, I, it's not so much the hires for me themselves. It's that Alabama for the last few years has been rolling through coordinators and it's hard to be consistent when there's that much change going on in the building. And while Georgia has lost coordinators to other jobs, moving on to head coaching jobs, 
there's just been a lot more consistency in that building as far as the roster is concerned and the coaching staff to where it's easier things. Are, they're, they're basically what Alabama was a few years ago when Alabama was at the peak of its powers. I don't think Alabama is anymore at the peak of its powers. I don't think that's that crazy of a thing to say. We've seen the best of the Saban era at Alabama. Doesn't mean they're going to drop off the face of the earth and only win seven games. They'll probably win 10 or 11 games. I just don't think they're going to win a national title. Again. Not this year. Maybe next year. Is, like, Nick, Saban, <clears throat> is Nick Saban going to win another national title? He might. I just don't think they will this year. I mean, I know they got a great recruiting class, but... They're not going to have a, a, a fact. They are not part of my... When I say that Alabama is going to... Can challenge Georgia, I'm not saying... that. Look, look at all these guys that are going to come in as freshmen and be incredible. I mean, I'm talking about Dallas Turner who's very much still there and very much going to be one of the top pass rushers in the entire country. Talking about the the rest of an offense that I do think is going to be very effective. And I think it's going to be an offense that maybe with a change of leadership is going to be able to be a little bit more consistent, especially when they're playing away from home. So I'm, I'm encouraged. Uh, I don't think that it's all over for Nick Saban in Alabama. And I think that they, they can challenge Georgia in my eyes, without a doubt. All right, let's keep it in the SEC West. This question comes from the big old bag of mail from William Ball. Thoughts on the higher staff hire? Oh, uh, subject line, Mississippi State Zach Arnett. Uh, thoughts on the higher staff hires and the focus on in-state recruiting. How do you see Mississippi State competing in the SEC as Texas and Oklahoma enter the conference? Uh, we'll start with the staff. I mean, the offensive coordinators, Kevin Barbe, came from App State, who's at Central Michigan before that. Defensive coordinator will be Matt Brock, which is an internal promotion. He was already on the staff. I can't really say I'm super familiar with what Barbe's offenses have been. He was only at App State for a year. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not like I was kind of really focusing in on Central Michigan's offensive schemes the year he was the OC there. I just think that if you are Zach Arnett, the situation you were put in is impossible like mike leach passed away during the season before the bowl game zach arnett gets taken over as the interim there's never really a coaching search as much as zach arnett is now the new head coach and he's going to get a chance it's just if you are a coaching if you're a coach and the mississippi states wants you to be the coordinator or position coach what assurance do you have that Zach Arnett's even going to get more than a year? Like did Mississippi state put in Arnett with the idea being that he's going to be the long-term answer or is it, well, I mean, we're not going to conduct a coaching search right now. Like right. we've got so much other stuff we're dealing with so much more important things. We'll give it the year. We'll go from there. We'll see what happens. And then maybe we do an actual coaching search or maybe Arnett just hits it out of the park and we just keep going. But Mississippi State's going to look different because I don't really know a ton about Barbe's offense from App State. It's not the air raid. And an air raid offense recruits to a certain kind of like on the offensive line, just at the receiver position, at the quarterback position. You ask for a lot of different things than you might in this new offense. So Mississippi State, when you look at what they lost to the portal, you look at all the, oh, the changes that are going schematically, I don't think you're destined to have a very good 2023 season and honestly i mean you can't rule anything out 
But when Texas and Oklahoma join, like for the Mississippi states, the Arkansas, the Missouris, and all those schools of the world, that's not good for you. Mm-hmm. Those are two more schools that are probably going to be favored against you every time you have to play them. It just kind of pushes you further down the pecking order as far as wins in the conference. So it's it's a really difficult battle for Arnett to fight this year, and it's going to be a tough road to hoe for Mississippi State going forward. But you won't have problems attracting a head coach in the future because you will still be paying them an SEC salary. It's So the future part of this is interesting to me because Mississippi State is in a position that we have seen as some of these um, conferences have broken up and gone to divisionless models and, and you know switch things up because while Mississippi State has an SEC West division title and an SEC championship game appearance that its Egg Bowl rival does not, it has faced an incredibly tough road to be able to reach there living in the SEC West. So one of the most crucial components of this is that as Texas and Oklahoma join, how does the shuffle break for the Bulldogs? Because there is a world where you are looking at your future and maybe your three permanent rivals, of course, we know that one of them is without a doubt going to be Ole Miss, but maybe you do draw someone from uh, that that's the SEC East. Maybe you draw somebody else that is more in your neighborhood of the SEC and you don't find yourself in a position like you did on most Saturdays in division play where you feel like you're having to punch up. So there's a potential. I mean, this is like me giving you the, the, the bright side of here come two college football juggernauts that are going to be pushing you down in the one through 16 pecking order it is possible that in reshuffling the schedule and breaking up the SEC West that Mississippi State does end up getting on a year-to-year basis a somewhat easier schedule. And that's the that's the best uh that's the that's the best possible um out outcome other than the higher payouts on an annual basis from Texas and Oklahoma joining your conference. It's also possible your three rivals become Ole Miss, LSU, and Texas. <laughs> I mean, it's, you don't know. Um, they listen, you could argue that might be easier. You get to play Texas. <laughs> <laughs> we already got to play Ole Miss and LSU. Now we get to swap out Bama for Texas. This is great. Mm-hmm. I would give uh, them Missouri. All right, let's uh, I'll, I'll give you a second to uh, 2023 Mississippi State football schedule. I'll read it for those who don't have it at home. Uh, somebody from the chat. Went and dropped this in earlier. Wanted to, figured we could throw it in uh, as we are discussing sort of the long term outlook for Mississippi State. Alex in the chat asks Mississippi State eight wins question mark that schedule again. Uh, if you're driving, walk in, or, or don't have it in front of you, non conference for Mississippi State in 2023. Southeastern Louisiana at home. Win. Arizona at home. Win. Western Michigan at home. Win. And Southern Miss at home. Probable win, but Southern Miss is pretty good this year. Okay. The uh, conference schedule starts with uh, LSU at home. Loss. At South Carolina. Loss. Alabama at home. Loss. At Arkansas. Coin flippy, but on the road does not work to your benefit. More likely a loss. Okay, so you come out of the off week with two road games, Arkansas and Auburn back-to-back. Can you get one of them? Yes. You could also lose both. 
<laughs> okay. Kentucky at home. We're going to give you the win. Okay. Upset. Uh, home Texas, dog. So then Texas A&M on the road. Loss. That means I've got us at six right now heading into the Egg Bowl, which will be in Starkville on Thanksgiving. So eight wins, according to our very fast uh, math here on the Cover 3 podcast. This is not... How many games are going to win this fall? I mean, there, we, we talk about this when we do the locks or the, the win total pods. As far as getting to the over, like you want your road, your road games to be the games you're probably not winning anyway. Like the Alabamas, the LSUs, like you want, like their, their road schedule in the SEC this year is South Carolina, Arkansas, Auburn, Texas a and You wish you had those games at home so you could count them as wins because then it'd be yeah. know, four SEC wins, four non-cons, and boom, there's eight. Yeah, like those are your more quote-unquote winnable games. You would rather have them at home than on the road. Putting those games on the road just makes it a lot more difficult. I think if Zach Arnett and the Bulldogs get to a bowl game this year, they've had a very good season. Good good note there. All right, um, producer Coca will uh, fine us if we don't take his question too. You know, that's he runs a really tight ship around here. Uh, a lot of questioning about Alabama's quarterback. We've seen them be successful with each new one. What about replacing Stetson Bennett at Georgia? Is it going to be Carson Beck? Is it going to be Brock Vandegrift? Is it going to be Gunnar Stockton? And Tom, to your eye, does it matter? It does matter, but I don't think it matters as much. Like, I and I know I've been like the Stetson guy on this show. I think Stetson Bennett is better than most people want to give him credit for. But just stylistically, what Georgia does, I don't know that the quarterback is as important. I think if Todd Munkin leaves, that could be a bigger blow than Stetson Bennett. But when you look at Alabama, like you talk about Alabama when it was winning all those national titles at the peak of its dynasty, game manager, QB, stud running backs. Look at the last few years, though, ever since really like Lane Kiffin became the OC. What's Alabama had more first round picks of or early round picks? Running backs or wide receivers and quarterbacks? Some wide Alabama, receivers and quarterbacks, right? Exactly. Alabama's offense has been more dependent on receivers and quarterbacks than running backs. So that's why I think Bryce Young, who is not only better than Stetson, but also more important to what Alabama tries to do philosophically on offense, is much more difficult to replace than Stetson will be for Georgia. Do you have uh, an early thought on who might end up like who do you have you picked a a Beck of Vandegrift uh, or a Stockton uh, stock yet? Have you no, brought in? no, I got to wait. We got to wait till spring practice, you know, get get the reports, get talking to people, see what they're saying. No, I, I already saw it. I saw it when uh, Kirby Smart was breaking my heart on a Georgia, South Carolina under. He put in Carson Beck like midway through the fourth quarter and started running the daggum air raid. I saw that boy sling it around the yard on a beat-up Gamecocks defense. He was ruthless. Beck did uh, also, for the most of the season, run second behind Stetson. And when he got in, looked pretty good. Uh, certainly yeah. looked good enough for me to think that he would be able to lead Georgia to another SEC championship. And while that's not like, you know, a deciding factor, typically – you, there's there's a lot to be gleaned from that kind of thing during the season. Who's been number two all year? Um. All right, let's hide. And this one from Lando. How far will TC... Speaking of the Georgia Bulldogs, the TCU Horned Frogs. Uh, how far will TCU fall? 
With the losses they have and the additions they have, most of Gary Patterson's guys are gone. How far will TCU fall? So we're giving it to the Gary Patterson's guys. <laughs> like they, yeah. Well, Sonny Dykes got into the playoff, but he did it with Gary's players. Um, who kind of quit on Gary? Uh, I mean, they're they're. I'm gonna make a wild definitive prediction right here right now on the cover three podcast here february 8th 2023 11 a.m eastern standard time the tcu horn frogs will not reach the college football playoff next year whoa you I sure you want to be out there on record with that clip <sighs> it put it on social media i don't care i believe that i'll stand by it i don't care um how far will they fall off not too far. I mean, I, I don't think they're going to win the big 12. I don't think they're going to get to the college football playoff, but I don't think they're going to go like, you know, they went from five and seven to the playoff. I don't think they're going to go from the playoffs to the five and seven, but the big 12, you think they of, split the difference. They, they yeah. improved by eight, seven, wins. Nine. Do you think eight, eight and a half, nine wins somewhere around there. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. Like you look at their schedule. Let's play this game again. Colorado we'll to open it. Loss. That, that, no, that's a, that's a win. <laughs> You get Nichols, that's a win. You open the Big 12 play, which is a weird thing to say, at Houston. Houston's replacing quite a few guys itself, so who knows? Coin flip. SMU at home, coin flip. West Virginia at home, win. Iowa State on the road, slight Cyclones lead, but coin flippy. BYU at home, I'd give TCU a slight edge. Kansas State on the road, I'm going to give that one to the Wildcats. Texas Tech on the road, coin flippy. Texas at home, oh, you're probably a coin flip at best. Uh, Baylor at home, coin flippy. At Oklahoma, probably a loss. Like, there's a lot of coin flip kind of games on the schedule for TCU. And when you look at how they did in close games this year, maybe things go back like violently next season and goes the other way. But I just think that. What Sonny Dykes has done and in his history and the talent that they do still have on the roster, you're not going to see the floor completely fall from under him, but you're probably more likely to see an eight and four kind of season. Yeah, if I'm going to power rank the Big 12 heading into next season, there's going to be uh, an expectation that they are not going to go 12 and 0. They're not going to go undefeated in conference play during the regular season, and they are going to slip out of probably the top two spots. However, if TCU finds itself fifth or worse. It's probably a disappointment. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you are looking up at a Texas and Oklahoma, a Kansas state, uh, a Baylor and another school, like then I would say that it's a disappointment. So um, how far do I think they will fall? I'm going to say fourth place in the big, from first place in the big 12 to fourth place in the big 12 you have a winning record in conference play, but you are not playing for the Big 12 title. That is my prediction. Your offense should still be good with Chandler Morris. Kendall Browse comes in as the new offensive coordinator. Uh, that should be uh, pretty strong. All right. 
Well, if you got your questions in, we'll continue to grab them and we'll continue to throw them into the big old bag of mail. We appreciate everybody for hanging out and we'll continue to do this all through the off season. We've really enjoyed engaging with the live audience uh, and we will do our best to be able to include all of you as well. You can always get at us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast and you can follow him at Tom Brunelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you.